Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good morning. Man, they got some good videos here, don't they? Some good music. Halfway decent speaker. We're doing all right today. How'd you guys sleep last night? Slept good? Yeah? Did the, uh, did the maid put the mints on your pillows this morning? No. No, they didn't. Maybe they'll come around a little bit later. I slept quite well. I laid my head down and woke up about a half hour before the alarm. And that was all I remember. It was perfect. It was such a good night. So for all you youth leaders that are a little bit jealous, <laughs> uh, I was in those beds just a couple weeks ago, so I know exactly what you're dealing with and the doom and gloom that is hanging over your head as we progress towards tonight and uh, the desire to sleep is strong with you. Um, I am saddened that you guys don't get to do the zip line today. That is a sad thing. Uh, but you're going to walk away today, so that's a beautiful thing. The wind that is coming is disgusting. Like it would not be safe out there. But the alternative, bubble ball. You guys are going to love it. Now, what I need you to do, students... I need earmuffs for a second. I'm just going to talk straight to the leaders. Okay, so don't listen, students, just the leaders. Leaders, bubble ball is the best gift that RVR could have possibly given to you. Today you're going to go into small group time, and you're going to have one of the most amazing small group times you've ever had. And there's going to be that one kid in your group that sits in the corner and doesn't say anything. And then right in the middle of one of the most deep, emotional, spiritual awakenings that your group has ever had, he's going to raise his hand. And you're going to, the Spirit's going to move within you, you're going to call on him, and he's going to say, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> Bubble ball is your opportunity to wreck that child. <laughs> and I speak from experience. It is such a beautiful gift that they have given to us, so please take advantage of that. I am going to find myself out there laughing at all of you. Uh, it is a great, great thing, so please uh, enjoy, embrace it. Uh, man, you guys got a long, full day. So let's recap a little bit. Uh, it's been, I don't know, 10 hours since we last seen each other. Last night, the gist of the overall talk was what? Did someone brave enough to give yes. the answer? And we remember jazz. <clears throat> I did text my son. I said, hey, I saw some of the things. You did a great job. He said, thanks. I said, how'd it feel? Good. All right, we'll talk later. It was real deep deep discussions. I don't know if they won or not, so I'm still waiting to hear back from that because he got in late and uh, I wasn't on that. So yeah, we did talk a little bit about jazz last night. Thanks for remembering that. Let's go more towards where we were into the Bible. I don't remember that part in the Bible. Does anyone remember what the general theme was last night? Kingdom tapestry. We're created in the image of God, okay? And our spirit is in the image of God. And this is the underlying thing that we want to keep in mind throughout the whole week. And every time I come up here, we want to keep in mind we are all created in the image of God. So today we're going to expand a little bit more on that concept and hopefully uh, cause you guys to think. Nothing I'm sharing this morning is profound or abstract. It is pretty basic and scriptural. And I love that uh, about the Bible, how it just comes out and tells you what it means. So I want to share with you a little story. In, uh, I am not a history buff, but I like history. Does that make sense? 
Like, I like knowing how things come together. I like little examples from the past. Uh, I'm terrible with dates, so I don't uh, appreciate that. But I like seeing some things from the past that still have some relevance to today. In particular, today I'm going to tell you a story about Julius Caesar. We all know that name, uh, famous for his salads. He, in, uh, <clears throat> in 55 BC, Julius Caesar started a conquest on the coast of Britain, and he was going to take over the Celtic tribes to the north. Um, and it started this battle, and it was relatively successful, but the Celtic warriors had this kind of the consistent uprising. They were constantly fighting back, so he never fully defeated the Celtics. Uh, so they were always battling across his border on the north of Britain. So in uh, we're going now. We're going to move down almost 200 years later, 120 uh, A.D. A new emperor takes over of the Roman Empire. His name is Hadrian, and he actually orders that a wall be built uh, to separate the Romans from the Celtics. Now we're talking not just a, a. It's not a small wall. This is a pretty significant wall. It spanned almost 80 miles from coast to coast. And it was up to 15 feet tall in some sections. In other sections, they, they called it a turf wall. Basically, the ground was built up, so you'd have to climb straight up a cliff to get there. Most of the wall was approximately 10 foot wide. Every third mile, there was a tower or a turret that was built that a soldier could get up there and could see to the next tower. Every mile, they put a gate in there, and every seven miles, a fort. So this was a very well-fortified uh, wall to be able to separate the two lands to keep the Celtics out and keep the Romans protected. And most of that wall still stands today. In fact, do a little uh, Bing search on it. There's a lot of websites dedicated to it. It's apparently a pretty popular thing to do, even though I never heard about it till just a few months ago. Uh, but now that you guys are much smarter than I was at your age, next time you're in Britain, make sure you look up that wall and check it out. So walls are designed to keep people out or keep people in, but they're designed as a separation. And the, the Christians, us, we are no different than that. We have our own walls and we're going to get into that a little bit. But the Jews, the Israelites, had the temple, and the temple had its own walls, and there are layers upon layers upon layers of walls. There's a section in there where only the women could go, there's a section only the men could go, there's a section only the priests could go. It was a pretty significant thing, but the wall that was really significant and probably the most heartbreaking of it, especially after, uh, after Jesus had come along and kind of destroyed this whole thing, was what's known as the Gentile court. There's a wall that was specifically built to keep the Gentiles from coming into the temple. And there's actually a sign on these walls. They found it um, in some of their archaeological digs. They found a sign on these walls that said, no foreigner, this, and they're implying anyone who's not a Jew, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds a sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So if you were not a Jew and you walked beyond that wall, beyond those gates, basically you're signing your own death certificate, is what they're telling you. It was a, bar a barrier of ethnic prejudice. And this is unfortunate because God, God's intention with his chosen people, 
the Jews, was to bless all the nations. If we look in the book of Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. God's intention was for his people to be a light to the nation. You see in Isaiah, Isaiah says, it is <clears throat> too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But instead of being a blessing, instead of being a light, the Jewish nation ended up becoming very self-centered, very prejudiced towards anyone not like them. There's a quote floating out there that I cannot attribute to anyone. I couldn't find uh, who was the originator of this. He said, prejudice is a lazy person's substitute for thinking. Figuratively, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at how the wall comes down and how all are welcomed into God's family. We look at Ephesians 2 chapter 12. Paul writes, and explains to us what we were. Now, I don't know what your story, what your, your interaction, your, your life with Jesus is like. Some of you are probably a lot like me. I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior when I was very young. I grew up in a Christian home. So I was five, six years old. At that age, I knew that I needed a Savior. Maybe at that age, I knew I didn't want to spend eternity in hell. That might have been a more accurate statement. As I grew older, I started to understand the concept of a Savior and a need for a savior. So my pre-Christ, my before Christ, my BC days, uh, it's not greatly significant. I don't have this radical testimony. Christ rescued me out of, I don't know, chocolate milk phase. I have no idea what it was at that time. Uh, I didn't beat up my brothers any less. I didn't, uh, you know, keep my toys to myself and share any more because I became um, a Christ follower at that time. There wasn't a dramatic before and after for me. Some of you have that story. Some of your leaders have that story. So you can remember your before Christ moments. The Paul says, look, this is what's going on. This is you before. Remember, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. And here's one, the most significant thing. Before Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the Jews are God's chosen people. They still are today, even if they don't necessarily uh, believe in that or realize it. But the rest of us are we're far away from Christ, and we're excluded in, uh, in a relationship and citizenship with God's family. We're without hope, without God. But then two very important things happen. Paul continues to write, in the next chapter, and he says this simple phrase, but now. And for those of you who accepted Christ, your personal Savior, he says, look, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God 
in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you and who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him we both have access in the spirit to the Father. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. So remember he said before Christ we had no hope without God. Afterwards, we've been brought near to Christ. We're part of a new humanity. We've been reconciled to God. We have access to the Father. We're fellow citizens with God's people. We're members of God's household. And we're being built together to become a dwelling place where God lives. We have come a very long way, he's saying. And sometimes we don't realize how far we've come. We don't realize how dark our eternity was before Christ. And Paul's saying, look, remember, remember where Christ has brought you, where you have come from. I'm going to share with you three implications of what's going on with these passages today. And they're very common statements. First thing to realize is what unites us as a body of Christ is greater than what divides us. You might have heard this saying a lot, a statement, and this statement should be radically true of the Christian church. What unites us is Christ himself. There's a lot of different denominations in here, a lot of different uh, thoughts and processes and interpretations here and there, but ultimately what unites us is Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The way to find unity in our diversity is to focus on Christ. He's destroyed and demolished these insignificant barriers that are between us. Does anyone think our country has a problem with division right now? Anyone ever watch the news? Can you bear to deal with the news? Scrolling Facebook, TikTok, whatever it is, there's a lot of issues going on right now. And some of the divisions are stupid. Like, why are we arguing about these things? If you look at your coin, anyone have coins on them? Got any change? Preferably a nickel. I have a nickel. Someone's going to win a nickel today, so big deal. You might be able to get a chip off one of those cookies. If you look at the back of most of the coins, some of the newer quarters don't have it, some of the older coins have it. There's a phrase called e pluribus unum. Does anyone know what that means? Of many, one. Out of many, one. You just won a nickel. Congratulations. Well, your neighbor just won a nickel. (laughs) This is the vision of the founding fathers of our country. The concept of out of many, one, that we would come together. And ultimately, the church should lead the way in this concept. Martin Luther King had a statement that he made back in the 60s, and I think, unfortunately, it holds true today. But he said that Sunday mo- the Sunday morning, 11 o'clock hour, is still the most segregated hour of the week. Churches should reflect the diversity of their communities. Church should be a place where our skin color doesn't matter. Church should be a place where our bank account size does not matter. Church should be a place where our image does not matter. 
Church should be a place where our past does not matter. Church should be a place where your favorite pizza topping does not matter. Unless it's pineapple, then we don't need you in our church. I don't know why. I don't know who started that. But when we truly allow Jesus Christ to rule in our hearts, we will be united with those that are doing the same. Regardless of skin color, regardless of wealth, regardless of their background, regardless of their quirks, it might be awkward, but if they love Jesus and you love Jesus, then we are together. We are family. What unites us is greater than what divides us. Two, we want to belong, and we do belong to something much greater than ourselves. Have you ever wanted to be a part of some great cause? You have plans for your future, right? Not many of you probably thought about your death, but you probably want a few people there at your funeral, right? Someone to miss you. You want a legacy to leave behind. You want uh, something in your name that people will say, I remember them for this. There is no greater cause, no greater purpose than to serve God. God doesn't put us together so that we can be a joke for people in heaven. Like, you are not for his entertainment. There's a purpose. There's a reason for here. He has a kingdom-minded purpose for bringing you into the family. God is in the building business. We look at the uh, verse 19, and 20, uh, 19 through 21. So you're no longer strangers, no longer aliens. You are fellow citizens. We're together with the saints, the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of Lord. You are a part of something much, much bigger than yourself. He's saying, look, the, the founders of the church, the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, this is God's planned building project that incorporates and needs you to be a part of this great structure. It includes the apostles, it includes the prophets, and ultimately, most importantly, it includes Christ himself. Hebrews 12.1, that's a chapter that immediately follows Hebrews 11, which we often call the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 12.1 says, it starts out, since we have such great a cloud of witnesses. Meaning, these, these followers of Christ, these followers of God who went before us, they have built up, they have started the foundation of this process. Our lives are interconnected. We are woven together. We are part of a greater picture. All through Jesus Christ, the head of the body. We belong to the church. And as messed up as a church can be at times, it's still a great tool for chasing and winning the lost. It's a great tool for shining the light in the darkness that is going on around us. There's nothing quite like God's love and compassion and forgiveness. And the church is a tool that he has designed to show that love and compassion and light and forgiveness and hope into a world that has none. Christ died for the church. We should live for each other. We should allow Christ to live and work through us because we belong to something much 
bigger, much greater than ourselves. And lastly, we should glorify God through our unity. Verse 22 says, in him you are being. And I want to emphasize that word being. It is an active, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember the temple, remember the temple, all its courts, all the different walls that are in there. In the innermost court of that temple was the Holy of Holies. There in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of that, we have, we have got the tablets, the original tablets of the, not the original one, the second, <laughs> second tablets of the Ten Commandments, along with Moses' staff. This was the dwelling place. This is where God would dwell on earth with his people. It was the Holy of Holies. When Christ died on that cross, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the place tore from the top down, signifying that God is now available to all of us. His presence is now available to all of us. He's not separated in a special little place. The Father opened up access to his own dwelling place. You are now his dwelling place. We are built together. It is a process. We are being, remember that word being, we're being, actively being built together, which means it's not done yet. And if you look at some of your classmates, some of your students that are with you, you realize God is definitely still working on them. Not you, you're good. The person next to you, they got issues. We know that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Yet somehow, the Spirit of God is present in a very unique way as we build our lives together. Remember our nickel, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. If we look at the tapestry, remember the picture I showed you yesterday, thousands and thousands, if not millions, of individual strings coming together for one beautiful picture. Ephesians 2 is about bringing the walls down that are between us, becoming one with one another through Christ. Differences are insignificant in the family of God. But this only happens if we can come together as one in Christ. The only true reconciliation when each of us has reconciled ourselves to Christ, you have to be walking with Jesus as your Lord. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Are you having trouble with a fellow believer? Does someone not quite fit the definition of a person that you want to be in a family with? I want you to consider maybe it's not their fault and maybe it's yours. Maybe you need to pray about your own attitude and your own reflection on how you view them. Remember, you're created in the image of God. They're created in the image of God. God loves you. Guess what? God loves them as well. When you love Jesus, when you really embrace what it is to love Jesus, he will enable you, he will empower you to be able to love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you realize that we are saved through faith alone, then you come to, gra come to grasp the concept that, yeah, your neighbor 
is also saved through faith alone. We're all in God's family. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, we're all in the family of God. And every family's got that weird cousin. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. (laughs) But we're all in this family together, guys. We should not be putting up walls separating ourselves. When Christians truly start loving and caring for each other, when we start uh, working together as God's spiritual building, the church where Christ is the cornerstone, we are built on the faith of the apostles and the prophets who have come together. When we start living such a way, amazing things can happen. And the church will be active, be healthy, will be alive, and most importantly, will be impactful in our communities and our neighbors, or excuse me, our neighborhood. And ultimately, God will become glorified. Young lady, young man, if you love Jesus Christ, if you've taken him as your personal Lord and Savior, then we ought to address and love those who love Christ as we love ourselves. That's a commandment. If this Jesus thing is still new to you, and you haven't taken Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, and the church has done something, or someone who claims to love Christ has done something to hurt you, don't take that out on God. I'm going to talk about that a bit more tonight. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and you guys are going to go off uh, into your groups, uh, into your small groups with a little bit of discussion. But I just want you to think, you're a part something so much bigger than you. And God wants you in that. That's a, that's a great thing. The God who created the universe has a role, has a place for you, and he wants you to be an active participant in that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. But most importantly, God, we thank you for your son. The main thing, Jesus Christ, perfect life, horrific death as he took upon the sins of us, and then his resurrection. How great it is to sing about it, how great it is to read about it, how great it is for me to be able to look out and see these young men and women who love you, God. May this weekend be an encouragement. May this this next few minutes when we get together and talk, may we encourage each other. May we put aside anything that might be hindering us having a better relationship. God, continue to work in us, continue to build in us your love, your faith, your hope. It's your great holy name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.